2: That's chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I got. It.
1: I'm watching you go. Oh, MF Doom. What's going on, everybody? This music, I'm not... And I don't know if I'm there yet. There's no hard drop spot. There's no hard spot where it drops and I can just jump into it and get excited. But I am excited because we're talking Thanksgiving football already. My God. We're two days away from Thanksgiving. It's not turkey day, by the way. I, I threw a fleet up on the Twitters about that. It's not I turkey day. God. I hate the term turkey day. I bet Ben does too, especially the man eats lobster tail for Thanksgiving. He doesn't even like turkey. Anyway. I'm Dave Lochran With me, as always, Ben Rasa and Sal Vetri taking a first look at Thanksgiving's three-game slate. It's a wild one. There's a lot to talk about here, a lot of injuries, a lot of questionable players, uh, and then some COVID positives in the 8 p.m. game. Sal, how are we doing, man?
2: Yeah, I'm doing well. I saw you and I had uh, gave myself a note not to say it when I joined into this uh, chat. Not uh, you, to say do, on you are here. a
1: turkey? Are you a turkey day guy?
2: No, I mean, I don't have, I'm not like a strong stance. I, I probably slipped it here and there, but it's definitely not happening today. Uh, but it's also not for my dad. My dad's allergic to turkey. So he, we usually have some sort of steak or something on Thanksgiving. Allergic to turkey and chickens, but not eggs. I don't know where it comes from. Really? Yep. Well, yeah, it's go. a weird thing. My dad, Man. when he was a kid, his mom would feed him just chicken, like left and right. he keep going to the doctors, like, like not being able to breathe. He was like four or five years old. And then one day they're like, stop giving this kid chicken because it's going to kill him.
1: <laughs> That's crazy. Ben, I'm assuming you don't call it Turkey day.
0: No, I I don't call it Turkey. I'm not like, why, you know, I'm not on the term, like you want to execute all those people. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not there, but yeah, it's not, it's a good day. The food is as I've stated a lot, it's highly overrated. Um, I don't, it's not that I don't like Turkey. I just prefer other things. Favorite day of the NFL season though. I wish, it wasn't the Lions, but I, it is, and we'll deal with it. I love the three-game slate. Uh, every every year, it's my, my favorite time for DFS.
1: I wouldn't mind exiling people. I think execution's a bit far.
0: Where do you want to put them, though? Like Mars, Ma- or, or, or are you saying just, like, somewhere on the Earth?
1: You know I'd come to you for that question in the event that, in the event that we got that far. Anyway, happy to have all you guys with us. We got, uh, again, three games, Dallas- and Washington pure barn burner there that's sandwiched in between the early game Texans at Detroit injury riddled Lions team and Baltimore at Pittsburgh hit that thumbs up if you haven't done so yet but you guys know this the most important thing right now we're trying to get those the subscribers up we're doing a good job you guys helped to push us over 40,000 so you know all all credit to you and all appreciation to you but and no, it's crazy. We're pushing for 50K. If we get there by Christmas, if we get there by year's end, well, that'll be awesome. We'll probably do a massive giveaway too. But even so, it helps us and it helps you. You know it when we're going live, it shows up in the browse feature. It shows up in the search feature or the um, recommended feed. And if you just like our content and you like what we do here and you appreciate it, well, hit the subscribe button. If you hate it, hit click on subscribe. You'll never have to deal with us again. All right, guys. Let's dive into it. We got 200 in here already, and we just got started. So I have a feeling the first look Thanksgiving show, the first one of the year or the first one of the week is probably going to be mighty popular, Sal. And at quarterback, is there any way that we don't just look at this and objectively say Deshaun Watson is the top quarterback play for this slate?
2: Yeah, I mean, unless ownership is going to be like 50 plus percent, which I don't think it's going to come in around that. I'm just going to be getting to a good amount of Deshaun Watson, Houston stacks early on. I mean, he's projecting for like four more fantasy points than anybody else. And the guy who's the closest to him is Lamar. And it's really just hard to trust Lamar from outside of helping for he have has a big game on the ground. So Deshaun Watson does look like the great overall play on the slate at quarterback, whether it's cash, whether it's GPP. Hard to get away from the guy who's like 30 yards per game higher than anybody else in the slate. He's top three right now in yards per attempt. And he's actually the number one quarterback since Bill O'Brien went down in yards per attempt and accuracy. So he's just uh, above the rest. He's the only guy above seven K in the slate. So it's easy to fit him in.
1: Okay. WSC 67 haven't missed the show since subscribing. That's what I'm saying, man. That's what I'm trying to tell you, Ben. Uh, Sal just broke down Deshaun Watson, but I don't mind going a little bit deeper here just given uh, the absolute uh in, insanity that we expect to see from him this season you know it's funny i meant to i meant to bring up another subject and i'm so used to doing a certain flow of this show and a certain uh topic for him that i forgot to do it so let me just go back one second and ask you guys something because i think it's important on a short three game slate like this does your strategy change dramatically for single entry or three max or MME? Or are you just going into it with the same train of, uh, with the same type of uh, thinking, the same type of strategy and approach that you would with,
0: you know, a main slate 11 gamer? So for me, my strategy changes a lot uh, because when you have, especially in football, it's not that you don't have to worry about ownership, but if you build a non cash lineup, even in 100,000 person tournament, you're probably, you don't have to worry about dupes. You're going to be pretty unique. There's so many combinations. There's so many ways to leverage. With three games, there's only, right off the bat, there's only six quarterbacks. Like, there's not that many reasonable guys at several positions. You can't just build a a team with Deshaun Watson that goes to 50K. It's not going to work in large field tournaments. So, like, things where you're using your defense against players on your own team, there's weird intricacies that go into a three game slate that I would never consider on a full slate.
1: Sal, same question to you. It's a unique slate. We get it once a year outside of, you know, the, of course, the afternoon slates that we get in the, on the Sundays, but you've got a millionaire maker, right? Like this is a huge deal, monster contest across the industry.
2: Yeah. Especially for most people that are going to be watching this and, and aren't going to be playing like one fifties, it becomes a lot easier to late swap. And you can't do that. Like on the afternoon slates where all the games start at the same time. So normally, especially the last two years, last year, I tried it a lot just trying to get pieces of that first game, whether it's your stacks and I'm still going to stack. So I guess that's another piece where strategy comes in still stacking when probably more people won't stack a full game stacks, three, four guys from a game. So, but late swapping is going to be important here. If you have that first game, you have a huge advantage. If you hit say Deshaun Watson with a huge stack and you're stacking like a tight end, a punt tight end, and he scores a touchdown or two. Now you have a big advantage to play the rest of the slate, maybe a little bit safer, eat a piece of chalk in another spot because that tight end was 7 8% owned on this type of a three-game slate. So I usually try and get a lot of my lineups to start in that first game. This year, that's the best game in terms of Vegas total, so I think a lot of people will, but there's still ways to get unique from there. So you have hours to late swap off of people, and you can kind of get a sense of how your lineup's going by halftime of the first game to try and take advantage of late swap.
1: And thanks, Jordan Klein, producing the show for getting back to that topic as I entirely forgot it early on. Ben, Deshaun Watson, most expensive quarterback, but I think for good reason.
0: It's for great reason. He's the obvious play. Great matchup against Detroit. He's doing it all. He's mobile. And again, when there's only six quarterbacks, you can actually just look at the rest of the slate pretty quickly and and realize that they're not in the same tier now. Again, he's going to be at a level in terms of ownership that you just never see in 11 or 12 games with a quarterback. That's just, you know, he's going to push 35, 40% possibly. I I think that's pretty reasonable. I'm just throwing that out there. Obviously our ownership projections will be more accurate as we get closer to Thursday, but you have to consider him in that early game. Uh, He's in by far the best spot.
1: What do you think of the Lamar Jackson, Ben Roethlisberger game, it's the, it's the late night hammer. We'll get to running backs. We'll talk about the COVID-19 positives in Baltimore, but of the last 23 games, these teams have played against each other in this AFC North rivalry, 23 games since 2010, two playoff games, and then one this year. So it's an odd number. The average total is 41 points. Now, granted, it's 2020. I get that things change, but I do have some serious concerns that this day is a very low scoring affair. And I am, you and I have very different opinions on the, on the Steelers. Um, It's true. I think they are a better team than Baltimore. You say you are locked in on Baltimore winning this week. So how do you approach the quarterbacks?
0: Yeah. I mean, I couldn't think of a worse. I I was hoping for a much better situation than I'm going to get with Baltimore, We have to keep an eye on the COVID situation, but I will say, I I still believe that Lamar in games where they're in trouble in games like this, he will be forced to run more. His highest carries 16 on the year that happened to be against Pittsburgh. And they lost that game by four and he had four turnovers. Um, I I believe that if Lamar pushes for 15 plus carries on the ground, that's the way you get there with him. That's the way he eclipses Deshaun Watson. And this game is set up for that. I know Pittsburgh's going to be keying on him, obviously, but they don't have any other choice. We'll get to the running backs and whatnot in a second, but Baltimore is playing bad. They need this game desperately. And Lamar has to take it on his shoulder. So I don't think it'll be efficient, but I think the volume will be massive.
1: Okay. So um, the Ravens last several games, 24 points, 17, 24, 24, 30, 27, 31, 20. For most teams, you'd be like, hey, that's pretty solid. Uh, For the Ravens, I think it's a, it's a far cry from what we were seeing last year where they led the league in scoring and every week dropped 35-plus points.
2: Yeah, and it's just the way that they're getting there more so in terms of it's not coming from Lamar as much this year. And if it is, it's not coming from the on-the-ground production. Uh, yeah, it's a concern to want to get to Lamar here. Now in the last game, just trying to draw from that it's a little bit tough to judge that one. Like Pittsburgh wins by four. They force four turnovers. They have three short fields that they score on. Pittsburgh wins the game at only like 200 yards of offense. So it's going to be a little bit different from that standpoint. I think Ben will actually look a little bit better in this game. Lamar's just tough to get to. There's only two mobile quarterbacks on the slate, which elevates them in my mind, Deshaun Watson and Lamar, but Watson's thrown for 100 more yards per game. You know, if you want to try and correlate it and stack it, it's going to be a lot easier to do that with three or four options for Watson when Lamar's like barely holding on to like one and a half right now. So Lamar at 6,800, I'll be surprised if he comes in with like low ownership. I think people still go to him here, but I would actually prefer Ben on the opposite side of the game.
1: What do you think about the Washington-Dallas game where last week, Alex Smith didn't have to do a whole lot and that win over Cincinnati? Of course, Joe Burrow's injury, uh, a gruesome one at that, didn't hurt him. And, you know, I I... This time it wasn't Alex Smith on the uh, business end of a bad hit uh, in the pocket. It was Joe Burrow. He's done for the year. They won 20 not to nine. There really wasn't much from Finley that we saw after that, and they held him to nine points. Their defense has been pretty good, though, Sal. PFF has their pass rush run defense and their secondary all, you know, better than most would have expected, maybe outside of the pass rush. So on the other side, while Andy Dalton is no doubt – a huge upgrade from Ben DiNucci. Um, and we saw that last week he kept it together they come out and they beat the Vikings it this could be a this could be a low scoring affair which makes me wonder if these teams both look to really lean on the run early on and try to keep the ball out of the hands of their quarterbacks as much as possible
2: yeah that's what i like here i actually like the under i think it opened at 48 in some spots 47 and a half but i even though i like the under in this game i think that this is probably the most important game on the slate for people playing the full three game slate, because after that first game, you'll have a lot of leverage to a passing offense in Dallas, where there's a lot of upside there, especially with Dalton back potentially, and then weapons, especially in the running game, the two running backs from Washington, McCorn going to be highly owned. So I think it's the most important game of the slate. Once you want to start to pivot off of that first game, I think it's sneaky to stack based on the team total Dallas second highest on the slate higher than both of those teams in the final game. So yeah, the last time these teams faced each other, it was, kind of two different quarterbacks. You had Danucci closing up that last game, Kyle Allen starting, but the story was Washington's line. Zach Dalton six times, ended up injuring him in that game. So it's going to be one where I think Dallas coming off of a win last week, whatever Mike McCarthy did to to get the team going, they're saying Zach Martin moving, on the offensive line was actually it looked pretty decent they, they got to hide Connor McGovern at guard instead of tackle so when you're not on the edge you're just less of a liability and it worked out for them Zeke goes for over 100 yards for the first time I think they're going to try and do that again but just a totally different defense than Minnesota so that's why I think that the under starts to come in play here one-off options look good with pr- pressure in this game I actually think that CeeDee Lamb is probably my favorite play from the Dallas side of it and then it's tough to just want to get away from McLaurin on uh, the Washington side.
1: Ben, do you have any interest in uh, the, the quarterbacks for Dallas or Washington, given what both of us have talked about?
0: I, I do. And I was actually on and it didn't work out perfectly, but I had Andy Dalton stacks last week. Um, and it's someone that, yeah, it's a massive upgrade. Obviously, if he's going to throw the ball 30 plus times, I feel good. And I listen, Sal talked about it. I do believe that they did find something moving. Martin to right tackle. They just looked better. They looked crisper and you know what? Minnesota was playing well. They had one three straight. They were at home. I didn't think that they lost that game. I honestly thought that Dallas won it. They deserved to win. The CeeDee Lamb ball. catch is one of the greatest things I've ever he seen. He was fantastic. These weapons on the outside. I mean, nobody's even through all of this. It's not like anyone said, oh man, the Cowboys, they don't have enough talent. They've got everything that you could want, particularly offensively. And I think Dalton will do enough. So I'm going to look to him. The good thing about him is on a three game slate, you have so many permutations of stacks that even if Dalton explodes, it's not like, Oh, everyone knows you're going to play Dalton with these two guys. You have four or five guys that you can mix and match. So Dalton stacks, if they get there will not be that owned when you consider how many skill set position players are available.
1: Why are people saying that David Blau is starting for Detroit?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's not, he did that last year. Um, On Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, and then Hawkinson yeah, had, like, 90 catches.
1: against. Was it against Chicago, I think? Yeah. And he actually had a decent game. Matthew Stafford was a limited participant in practice yesterday, whereas a Monday after a Sunday, which happens every single week, uh, but rare circumstances <laughs> here where you get three Thursday games, getting in a limited practice suggests that you're absolutely going to play. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, but, like, even a lot of the non-participants – I'm not even close to ruling them out yet after not practicing a day after they played, knowing that they've got to play a few days from Monday.
0: Yeah, it's a short week. Uh, listen, if that changes, it'll change. But I, I don't see any like McLaurin sporting a Q tag, so is Gibson. I expect all these guys to be playing. Uh, certainly, Stafford looks hurt. I don't like him, but I do think he'll be under center.
1: Yeah, I would go ahead and say that there's some issues here, regardless, Sal. If, if Matthew Stafford starts, I have some legitimate concerns. He's playing with a partial ligament tear in his right thumb and his throwing thumb. And there's no doubt he was impacted by that last week, completing only 54% of his passes, managing to put zero points on the board for this Detroit offense against the Carolina Panthers. I mean, that's an embarrassing loss and an embarrassing fashion.
2: Yeah, it really is, and like I mean, part of it's probably injury. Part of it's just scheme, and not having your probably two best weapons out there. It's Swift and Kenny Galladay. When Galladay's not out there, it's like a totally different offense. It's probably what you'll see if Julio misses this week on the main Sunday slate for Matt Ryan, and what you've seen in the past. So. It's going to be probably – I probably won't have any interest in Stafford if Galladay's out. If he's in, I think that's a spot where both of these guys dealing with injuries, Q tags during the week, they'll probably have lower ownership. You saw last year. I think the same thing happened with Galladay. He was a little bit banged up going in, and he had a great game on Thanksgiving. He's going to be in a fair price point, so it helps you get the Stafford stacks more. The issue after that is just, like, what else do you do with the team? They have some other pass catching options with, like, Hawkinson, but nothing else you feel that confident in. Amon Dole is another guy who's dealing with some injuries. So Stafford, for me, kind of gets lost after, like, Watson, Ben – and then I'd rather just honestly punt down to an Andy Dalton stack before getting to Stafford for $200 less. But I do think you mentioned
1: something interesting uh, and I'll get Ben's take here too. Ben, if ownership on Stafford is very low that might actually influence how I approach him. And here's why I don't think DeAndre Swift is going to play. And I say that because he has to clear concussion protocol like now uh, or at least soon. And if he doesn't, We'll get to Adrian Peterson and Curry and Johnson in a minute. We're going wide, uh, running back wide receivers, tight ends, as we always do. And they can't get anything going on the ground. Matthew Stafford might be forced to throw the ball more. He has not been a high-volume passer this season. Um, in most games, it hasn't come down to that. There were a couple where he threw 40-plus times, uh, and they were playing from behind. But if his ownership is super low and everyone has the same concerns that all of us do, and Kenny Galladay is active, as Sal mentioned – I could probably see myself getting this in Matthew Stafford if his ownership's real down on a three-game slate.
0: Yeah, it's going to be ownership dependent. Uh, If he's even remotely similar to guys like Dalton, uh, there's no – I don't want to say no chance, but it's very unlikely that I would get there. If he is significantly less than everyone else – again, we're talking about three games. There's only six quarterbacks. Uh, You have to roll the dice. And one of the most – I say this often – I think one of the most underrated things is people balancing chances of success in terms of the potential payoff. Most likely Stafford will not be the optimal QB. No one's saying that, but if he's only 5% owned, you only got to be right one out of 20 times um, and you'll be picking up on the field there. So keep that in mind. If he's that low owned, you have to consider it. He's just, I I really do think he's hurt. And I'll say this, I'm going to look strongly at his player props over on odd Chopper when those are posted. I, I think if he does start, if ownership is there, I might short him uh, in passing yards and passing touchdowns.
1: I'm with you. And uh, we talked about it before the show. Uh, I like Houston here totally. in, in this game. It's, it's hard not to like Houston. You mentioned that there's like an 80% cover rate for teams that were shut out the previous week in the NFL. And that scares me a little bit. But given what we saw from him last week, and it might sound like I'm, I'm, I'm talking in circles here, right? Or talking out of both sides of my mouth. But I, when I, the reason I say it's so ownership dependent is because I don't – Ben, I don't think he's going to play well, but I didn't wow. think David Blau was going to play well either last you know, Thanksgiving. And, and I didn't think Justin Herbert was going to be a, a, a pro bowler to start the year. So if, if they're really low on, it, it does make sense to me. But, um, yeah, I like the idea of shorting that prop. And I think Houston right now, Sal, laying – what is it? Are they still only laying like two and a half points or two points – um, yeah, they, yeah, they open as right two point favorites. Two, yeah, two, two and a half. So they only need to win by a field goal. That's that seems okay to me.
2: Yeah, I mean on the on the other side, if like you want to follow or go with Matt Stafford in this one, like. Houston is comparable secondary to Dallas at this point. And so is Detroit. It's like, there's a lot of bad secondaries on this slate. You're right, so man. they gave up a, a career game, 130 yards to Demir mirror bird last week in the Patriots for a team that just hadn't even seen like they had a, a number two wide receiver. So Demir mirror bird goes off. So this is a spot. If Galladay is back that, yeah, you, you can see some upside from uh, Matthew Stafford connecting against the best secondary player in Bradley Roby, who's been banged up all year. So it is like as good of a matchup as you'll see all year, slight underdogs. So you expect more passing either way, especially if swifts out. So there's cases to be made for Stafford. Uh, Just in that range, I think that, yeah, it comes down to the ownership. Dalton, probably the one that stands out a little more.
1: And the the last thing I'll say here is if there's one game with the highest likelihood of shooting out, I still think it's this game, even though Matthew Stafford's dealing with that injury. So what are we doing with running backs, Ben? Starting at the top, Ezekiel Elliott on DraftKings, $6,800. He's uh, coming off his imagine this his first 100 yard game of the entire season. It took him uh, 10 games to hit that 100 yard mark. Not all of that is his own fault. I'd actually argue that much of it isn't. From a banged up offensive line to abandoning the run with a terrible defense and not having quality quarterback play for most of the the, the, the last six games, uh, it's it's been ugly. But ultimately, he's not super expensive. He's sub 7k. And I keep I keep thinking, even though Washington has a good run defense, I, I think both, I, I think you could see this game really go heavy on the ground. As Sal said, trend to the under and see a lot of running back carries for guys like Zeke and Antonio Gibson if he plays.
0: Yeah, I mean, Zeke is still at a price point that we're just not accustomed to seeing. And you can make, I think, a real argument that a lot of the games are straight throwaway games, that they don't mean anything. They're not even remotely correlated to what we're going to see on Thursday. So 6,800, again, and no surprise, he's going to be very popular because you're going to have money to spend. He makes sense. He's at home. They're a favorite. And I do think they found something shifting that offensive line. So I have nothing bad to say about Zeke. I I do think there's some other spots, particularly Duke Johnson, who I don't think I've ever got right, but this is going to be the day. Great matchup with Detroit. Um, And we just don't have that many options, especially if Swift happens to sit. I mean, Zeke is starting to be on an island right, right off the top.
1: I have one note, Sal, on Duke Johnson in the run sheet today. And it just says it's becoming increasingly evident why coach, why no coaches have ever made Duke Johnson a three down back. (laughs) Correct. That is my only note that I have on Duke Johnson from this week.
2: Yeah. It's uh, it's going to be tough. Like just seeing what happens with these injuries in terms of Zeke. Yeah. I- I'm going to like Zeke. He's, I-, I don't think he'll pick up the ownership that he should because there's a lot of good running backs on the slate and they're all pretty close in price point. None of them are that expensive. So 21 plus touches in three straight games. The offensive line note is, I think, somewhat at least important to mention. And then you just know he's getting the volume everywhere. He's still running the most routes in the entire NFL at the running back position. So still heavily involved in this offense. Dalton's going to get them to the red zone more times than not, compared to the other quarterbacks they've been having in there the last couple of weeks. So Zeke's the guy that I like getting to. We have to see what happens with DeAndre Swift. But then it just becomes like this, this no-man's land, almost of trying to figure out where ownership is is going to go for this entire five and six K range. What's going to happen with this Baltimore backfield. So I think running back is the position that is really going to decide the slate. Cause it seems like there's so many receivers, the quarterbacks we just kind of went through seem like um, three or four can get you there running back. It seems like you're going to have to have that guy who scores the multiple touchdowns.
1: I don't think you're going to get any disagreement from us there unless like monster game stacks go off or huge blow performances from Lamar and finally gets his pass catchers involved. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's definitely looking like the running backs will play the biggest role, especially given that, as you mentioned, it's a very deep position. Um, you know, Ben, DeAndre Swift isn't practicing. Our boy El Negro Loco, a.k.a. News God, which, can I say, I hate when people give themselves nicknames, but I respect News God. That is the one nickname, Ben, that I'm okay with someone giving to themselves. Because he yeah, does a good job
0: does a great job, keeps everyone informed inside the paywall in, in Slack. And and listen, this year more than ever, it's needed because this whole obviously COVID situation changes things on the fly. So what do you think about Swift
1: being potentially out? By the way, a news guy said that he he was put into the protocol on Thursday. He can still get out. Totally agree. But I'm saying if he doesn't practice today and he's not cleared, I'm going to go ahead and and consider him out, or at least approach it that way. If he's in, I love him against Houston. If not, Curry and Johnson played 70% of the snaps last week to Adrian Peterson's 30. Peterson had like eight carries through the first quarter and a half and then didn't touch the ball again. I don't know if he came back on the field again after that. Curry and Johnson basically took all the work in the second half of that game and this in the later second quarter, much of that because they were trailing, but uh, really a fascinating situation here in this backfield for Detroit for a number of reasons, very layered.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. And, and we'll have to see. The one thing about Swift that I like is it it's a concussion. So there's no, it's not like you can be limited. You're either going to play and you're fine or you're not going to play. So we don't have to worry about a pitch count or anything like that. We just have to see what the status is. If he sits, I mean, you know me, obviously I'm going to lean to carry on. That's someone who I thought was destined for big things, hasn't materialized. But I think when we're talking about ceiling, we're talking about a three-game slate. He has the ability to get there in a big way, whereas AP may give you a solid game, maybe a solid floor if he falls in the end zone. I don't know how big that ceiling is. I don't think the volume will be there. Even if they get out ahead and say run away with this game, I would lean carry on over AP in that backfield. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Adrian Peterson last week. Curry and Johnson, if Swift is out, to me, now looks like the, the clear option here. What do you say?
2: Yeah. So my answer, if I didn't have to pick one would be, I don't want either of these guys, even if Swift is out, but I, I like, I mean, carry on. He has the, the pass catching upside. I think that game kind of skewed that way last week after getting down multiple scores. So early in the week, I actually like carry on Johnson more after basically what you just said and and noticing that AP had all the first half usage and knowing that the past like three or four years, you just need the the running back. You don't want on, on Detroit. And then you'll win the Thanksgiving slate. So I actually think I do (laughs) like, was it it Scarborough last year? It's been Scarborough, it's been garrett Blunt, and then it's been Theo Riddick for like two years in a row before that. So I, I actually think Peterson's the guy I want because Houston's a bottom three tackling team. Uh, they're bottom three against the run in, in general, just overall run scheme in the middle of the field. And then it's just coming out to touchdowns if you're playing one of these guys. Um, there's other guys in the 4K range that probably look better, probably come in with a lot more ownership. If I had to pick one right now, early in the week, i like carry on more from a pass catching perspective. But if I think one of these guys gets there in the end zone, I think it's going to be Adrian Peterson.
1: Okay. Yeah, the reason the reason I'm I'm slightly on a slightly different page there is because it looked like they abandoned Peterson even when the score was only ten nothing at the or seven nothing at the time. Um, I don't know. He rushed. I don't think he had a carry north of four yards. I had some interest in Peterson at minimum salary on Sunday, and while he was terrible, every lineup I played Peterson in cashed because you know it let me get to more expensive players. Would I go back and change it? Eh, it might might be doing something differently there, but. Nevertheless, Sal, let me let me put it to you this way. What happens if Gus Edwards, we can make this transition now, with Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins on the COVID-19 reserve list? They won't be playing. Both of them tested positive for the Rona. Uh, what happens if Gus Edwards has massive ownership and DeAndre Swift is out, but no one knows what to do with the backfield in Detroit, so neither Kurion or Adrian Peterson come even close to Gus Johns, or Gus Edwards?
2: Yeah, there's a definite leverage spot there for sure. I think that I just get away from all those guys, unless okay. you're building a very specific lineup that's saying like, okay, I need a still 4k running back here, which the way that this slate breaks down, unless you're playing like the most expensive, all three, of the most expensive wide receivers, most expensive running backs and all that, you're going to be pretty fine to to just do whatever you want. You probably have a couple thousand dollars left over. Um, so That's a reason why I'm really not all that much into Gus Edwards as the week's going to go on, because I think he's going to be coming in with a lot of ownership more than he probably should for a one-dimensional back and a tough matchup. So if that was the case, yeah, I would want to leverage over to like an Adrian Peterson or a carry-on. But my first choice would just be to avoid the 4K running back range as a whole.
1: Ben, I made some lineups, feeding off what Sal said here, just hand-built some lineups. You can kind of do whatever you want.
0: And that's why I think Zeke is going to be massively owned just because right. you can't spend the salary and people are just gonna be like, Oh, well, I'm mine as well. Uh, similar to Deshaun Watson. It's not, there's no opportunity cost. It's not a straight pick em, but it's not that far off. So uh, I, I agree. I don't think I want to go down. Certainly I don't want to go to the 4k running backs that are going to be popular. Like if Gus Edwards is chalk, that makes no sense unless there are permutations that you really like that you need him to, to pay down. You're not going to leverage I, other than that, though. I mean, the guy that we haven't talked about <laughs> and he kills me every week is James Connor. He would probably be the direct pivot off of Zeke yeah. he's at home. He gets the looks. Then Benny Snell comes in and gets the touchdowns. I, I mean, obviously clearly Zeke is a better play, but again, you're not just evaluating who's a better play. You're evaluating if he's one fourth, the ownership of Zeke, does he have a better than a 25% chance of outscoring him? I would say yes. Uh, so that's something to monitor at 6,200.
1: It absolutely is. But Ben, I don't know if I can do it. Like, I I don't know if I can go back to James Conner at this point. It it has been disastrous.
0: I mean, with my, so i am never ever, because the Lions play first. I don't know what it would feel like to get to the late game and still have a chance. <laughs> but if I did, and then James Conner coughing me, uh, that would be a new low in a series of lows on thanksgiving. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it would not be unpredictable. No it wouldn't. It would be it, you have to though again, on a three-game slate being serious, you have to do something. You you can't just play right. Zeke and play Deshaun Watson and say, "Oh, I love all these guys." You got to throw someone in there that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And that's the way that you win on a small slate like this,
1: Sal. So, and that's why I want to ask you one more running back before we move on. I knew I know I said this would be a shorter show, but this is this is a lot of fun, and we've got five hundred, almost five hundred and fifty people watching on a Tuesday morning. So um, let's keep it rolling for a little bit. The when when Ben says, "Yeah, we got to do some things that just don't make a lot of sense on paper." One way I might actually do that is J.D. McKissick, and, and I'll tell you why, and then you can close out the, the running back position. He, last week, he only saw a few targets, and he wasn't great. He still saw 10 like, still had ten fantasy points, had six carries, averaged 7.2 yards per carry, four targeted four times. But when they fall behind, J.D. McKissick is going to be involved. It's basically a foregone conclusion at this point if everyone including us is under the impression that this game will be dominated on the ground and it'll be a grudge or it'll be back and forth no real um, no real separation on either side then because it might go criminally on their own a guy that saw double digit targets in back to back weeks before Sunday not only that but if Dallas does go up early you guys talk about the adjustments to the offensive line you talk about getting Andy Dalton back this offense could start humming now with all of the great skill players they have if that's the case, you might see J.D. McKissick get used early and often. So if he, he might come in at like 5%, and if he does, I will get there at
2: 5,100. What do you say at the running back position? Anyone else here? Yeah, close the door, McKissick. He's a good play. He two The last two weeks before this past week, 40 routes run and 35 routes run. Then he gets 19 routes run because they're leading. They even bring in Peyton Barber for like eight carries because it's just garbage time and they're running out the clock towards the end of the game when Finley came in and the Bengals are terrible. So I think McKissick's fine in play. I like James Conner a lot in this spot. There's things you can look at and like narratives can be spun. Like the Dallas game, throw that out. They get out big. They're not running the ball at all. The last two weeks, he's still seeing 15-plus touches in each game. He's ran by far his most routes on the season the past two weeks, 26 and 31 routes. And that's in a game where they're leading last week uh, by multiple scores against Jacksonville. And he's getting red zone touches. He's coming off of a game of three and three red zone touches, seven a couple games before that. So he's being involved everywhere. It's just that, okay, Benny Snell uh, steals a touchdown here. Chase Claypool steals a touchdown like a month ago. And there's a negative spin on it. But before that, he's scoring double-digit fantasy points at low ownership. So I actually like James Conner a lot on this slate. And Baltimore's run defense, it is atrocious this year like the rookie queen at lsu has been good but that's about it for them so i like james connor a good amount a- outside of that, like antonio gibson duke johnson they're both going to project out very similar to connor here it's going to probably come down to ownership between those two it's hard to want to go back to duke johnson at this point they were in the red zone and, and within the five yard line first and goal they probably had seven or eight plays in that game they didn't hand it off once like they had just no interest in doing that this is a man defense like new england was last year detroit is Uh, or last week, Detroit is a man defense, which means that, especially in the red zone, there's more chances that Deshaun Watson can have a rushing touchdown. I like Deshaun Watson's rushing over prop a lot this week, too, waiting for that to post. Um, So, yeah, I think that I would choose Antonio Gibson and Connor over Duke Johnson and Connor out of all those guys in that range.
1: Talk about the Ravens' run defense. Listen to this. Their last five games, yardage allowed on the ground, rushing yardage. 173, 173, 112, 48, of course, that was against James Conner in Pittsburgh, Uh, and then 194. That's insane. So, yeah, their run defense has not been good at all. Let's turn to wide receiver. So, before we do that, you have through Thanksgiving, so through the 26, only a couple days left to to use the uh, promo code Mayflower, $1.00. We'll get you the Awesomeo Express NFL Pass. All of the showdown content we have, all the ownership for showdowns, the player projections for showdown, the top player tool, uh, which is an amazing probabilities tool, uh, the, the rankings that we have, and not just showdown stuff, but the express top stack tool, rankings, express lineup builder for $1. Like I, You know what? I'm not even going to say anymore. I'm just going to keep talking wide receivers because there's no point to continue to sell something like this. It's $1, and it gets you all of that for a week on a week where we have a number of showdown contests, more than we've had at any other time this season. So go to checkout, get the Express Pass for $1, use the promo code Mayflower, and do it before Thanksgiving. Matter of fact, do it today or tomorrow so you can get in all of those Thanksgiving Day showdown slates with the content we have that you're getting for one single dollar. Mayflower at checkout. I'll stop it there. Ben, what do you say? wide receiver Terry McLaurin at the top against a bad Dallas secondary?
0: Yeah. Assuming he's good to go. Fantastic play. Uh, and then when you just look at the slate again, it's only three games, three of the top six receivers are Steelers. So you're going to have to choose between them. You've got Fuller. Who's going to make an obvious pairing with Watson and then Galladay's sporting a Q tag. So there's a lot to sort out. I, I think McLaurin though Assuming he's good to go is a a fantastic play against that Dallas secondary. You got to start there and you're going to have the money to do it. What about you, Sal?
2: Yeah, I mean, up top, I'm probably going to be going to Fuller the most here just to try and stack him up in that spot. And then, yeah, it's tough to try and distinguish these Pittsburgh receivers. Like you have Claypool seeing seven plus targets and he's seen, I believe it's now 39 targets in the last four games, basically 10 a week. Obviously, Deontay's been doing what he's doing. I mean, he's seen 53 targets in his last four healthy games. So he's been fantastic. I think I actually like Claypool a little bit more there. In that last game, when they faced Baltimore, Deontay got shut down, but he was dealing with a hamstring injury. Only played like 65% of the snaps. He's normally in like the 80 or 90 range. But Chase Claypool... Touchdown regression is going to come. It might not be till next year though, because they just keep feeding this guy in the red zone. They get him involved in different ways. And he's like, we talked about Deontay, I think last week or the week before, how good he is after the catch. Chase Claypool is now in the top 12 as well after the catch. So Big Ben's not having to do much in terms of going deep. He's just letting these guys eat after the catch. So I'll take the guy who I think will be lower owned in Claypool there out of those Pittsburgh receivers, out of all three of them. But out of all the guys that are, let's just say, uh, six gain above, I think Fuller is going to be my favorite. And I'm really hoping Galladay plays because he's going to have just way too low ownership because of his questionable tag.
1: Dude, what is Roethlisberger's A dot this year? I can't. I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, I'm not not. sure, but you know, I was surprised to see that. I think it's just because he's throwing. He's thrown 42 plus times in three straight games, even though they're like leading both two of these games by a lot. I'm not sure what the A dot is, but he has like 350 air yards a game for like the last three games, which is just crazy. It's coming on volume, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's wild. Um, Yards per attempt for for Roethlisberger is 6.7. So, I don't know. He's making things happen, that's for sure. And he's got some really good receivers, man. Pittsburgh drafts receivers better than any team I've ever seen in my life. It's absurd. Go over the list of of receivers that have just been dominant there. And now you got AJ uh, Antonio Brown in Tampa Bay. The guy had like 14 targets last night. It's it's (laughs) insane, man. They're just so good at it. Uh, and now, Ben, you've got Claypool. You have Deontay Johnson, or as Macajeski would call him, Deontay Johnson, and you have Juju Smith-Schuster. Who did, did you guys see how he injured himself last week?
2: No, Oh, yeah, over flag, the penalty flag,
1: insane. Yeah, yeah, he tripped yeah. over the penalty flag, or I'm sorry, the uh, the the marker, the penalty, yeah, no, the 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 weighted portion of the penalty flag, and took himself off the field. Oh. Uh, Ben, just elaborate a little bit more on these three guys, because this is going to be an integral part of today's slate being a Thanksgiving Day slate, being able to figure out which one of the Pittsburgh receivers is in the better spot, which one of them goes off against the Baltimore secondary that, uh, of course, has given opposing teams some issues in the past.
0: Yeah, I think that Claypool's red zone usage is obviously keeping him afloat. Deontay Johnson, you've been on all year, uh, and he's going to continue to do that. We got to see the status of Juju though. Uh, I think he throws a wrench into it if he does play.
1: Agreed. And we saw we saw Claypool when Johnson got hurt, absolutely go off against the Eagles. When you take Sal, when you take just one of these two guys out of the the, the mix. Now you only have to worry about, essentially, Claypool and Deontay Johnson. That's when things get really interesting, and I think that's when they can absolutely explode. I know Ray-Ray McLeod will get some of those end-arounds and pitches and stuff, and James Washington, a time-to-time, time, is going to get a look here or there. But I, I, I would assume that Johnson and, um, and Claypool dominate opportunities if Juju sits, because he's been getting a lot of looks.
2: Yeah, I would assume so too. I think that Juju said after the game that he could have played the rest of the game like yeah. if it was a meaningful game or anything. So I'm not going to expect that to happen. But yeah, if it does happen, that makes these guys look even better. And Juju's had nine red zone targets in the last five games. So that's something that will just float back into Claypool's already getting red zone looks. But Deontay, he's, as much production as he's getting, not a lot of it's coming in the red zone compared to his other teammates. So if there was a thing where Juju would sit, you would think that would fold over into Deontay Johnson and help him out even more than he's already getting. I
1: saw the same thing. My only thinking is players always say that. And then a day later they swell up, you know what I mean? And it gets worse. And then, but um, yes, if if we're projecting him in or out, I think you're absolutely right. You have to project him in right now. Um, Sal, outside of those guys, it gets a little bit ugly. Once you get, once you start getting cheap with the receivers, you know, there's a lot of volatility here and we just have to live with that. Are there any guys that, are flying under the radar that that could have some legitimacy here. Des Bryant in week 11 in his first game, actually getting on the field, saw five targets. Michael Gallup is very cheap. He was only targeted five times, but Andy Dalton did actually look at him. Um, Andy Dalton actually did look towards his way in that first start of his against Arizona many times in the red zone. It won't show up. On the It won't show up because there were P.I. calls and there was a bunch of penalties on these red zone targets to him, but he's close to minimum salary. I'm just trying to give you a couple guys here that might make some sense if you wanted to go expensive at every position and then go cheap at one wide receiver position to open things up.
2: Yeah, there's definitely guys down here in in the five range before you like getting into the bottom range. There's going to be two guys here, one that I think is probably the best play on the slate if you. Don't factoring in ownership, which is Brandon Cooks. He just, he just for some reason, they don't want to make him above 5,500. And I'm projecting and looking probably similar to Will Fuller in this game. That's how it's been for like the last month, month and a half. But the guy who I think is the guy who might be the best play in the slate factoring in ownership, so lower owned, is Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper with Andy Dalton, he's just been steady as can be. And all these bad quarterbacks that have come in there, seeing like five, seven, eight targets in the three games or like two and three quarters games with Andy Dalton before he got hurt, he's seen 79, 80, and 81 yards in those games. He's seen 10, seven, and seven targets. And we know he has the upside. We know we've seen him do it on a lot of island games, including, I believe, last Thanksgiving before. So Amari just continues to be too cheap. Like his skill set is arguably a $7,400 wide receiver on this site. Yep. A- and now you've had Andy Dalton back for. One game looked fine, had a good game over 14 fantasy points. And because of what we're saying, like you can do whatever you want. Everybody's going to play Zeke. People are going to all go to Deshaun Watson. These Cowboys receivers, all of them are going to be on their own in that second game. All the Steelers receivers in the last game will pick up ownership. So whether it is CD Lamb or Amari, I think they both look good. I'm personally going to be going with Amari's bigger play upside down the field. So I think Amari is the best play on the slate when you factor in ownership.
1: And uh, let's not forget that when, when Dak Prescott was healthy, You know who led the league in fantasy points at wide receiver? Well, it was DeAndre Hopkins. But who was second? Amari Cooper. You like that, Ben? I see what he did there. Yeah. I I was desperately
0: searching here. And then as I said, I was like, well, none of this adds up. I can't tell you how many times (laughs) on this show I'm in the middle of a thought, but my brain is thinking about trying to find the number I want to pull out. Yeah, all Uh, the time. All the time. But but... he was one fantasy, 1.6
1: PPR points behind DeAndre Hopkins after four weeks. I mean, that's still pretty
0: good. He's been fantastic. And Dalton coming back provides stability. I think it helps the floor more than the ceiling, to be honest, but it's nice to have that combination. I will say looking down, and this is, again, we've got the obvious plays that Sal talked about, but Michael Gallup is still in this offense and he's going to get some opportunities. The floor is a lot worse for obvious reasons, but he's $3,500 in a team that I do think can have success through the air So the question I have to ask is how, I mean, it doesn't get any worse than what Hollywood Brown did last week, but nobody in the world is going to use him. Is he in the James Connor bucket of like sneaky or is he just in a bucket of just don't even go there?
1: So we're playing
2: sneaky or shitty. Yeah. That's a new <laughs> game that we just invented
0: on the yeah, fly cut, here. Cut,
2: cut this bit and put the overlays on for Twitter. Yeah, yeah, we or shitty. <laughs> Marquise Brown edition. So for me, it's just going to be shitty, flat out shitty. I don't want to be going to Marquise <laughs> Brown because, okay, first of all, he, he's fine. He's still getting a separation. It's just right now, the second worst in the league is deep throwing uh, accuracy right now for Lamar Jackson. So that's terrible. And also he's not even getting air yards as of late Hollywood Brown. It's going to Willie Sneed the last month of the season. So you also factor in Des Bryant is actually getting in one game separation and five targets, which is what you had not seen all year long at a Miles Boykin, all year long at a Devin Duvernay when he got some opportunities. So Everything is, is looking terrible for Marquise Brown, and I don't think that's just going to make it a sneakier play. The price point's nice, so I'm hoping people just go there ownership-wise, but there's been no sentiment on accuracy. Now the number one Pittsburgh secondary, I can't get to Hollywood Brown when he's not even seeing his downfield targets now.
1: All right. Fellas, we're almost there. It's time to close this one out. Tight ends and defenses. I had someone send a message, a YouTube comment one day. He's like, why do you keep saying you're going to close it out? I turn it off. And then I realize later that there were 40 minutes left. So like, first of all, I've never claimed I'm closing a show out. Like, Hey, guys, how you doing? Welcome to the awesome.com strategy show. Let's hit on quarterbacks and we'll close this one out. Come on. Maybe I did it at the end. Uh, or maybe I said, we'll get through this one, this one, and then we'll put a bow on it. I could say something like that. But I can assure you, I'm not threatening to close the show out at the midway point, Ben. Tight ends.
0: What does he also think like when he's watching the YouTube video and there's still like a a sizable chunk of time in the bar? Like, what does he think we're doing for the last 20 minutes? And all the Uh, top, all those topics are on the sidebar. So that's neither here nor there Yeah, Listen, tight end is weak in 11 game slates. So naturally, uh, honestly, like this, it's not great. But I will say, you know, you've got Mark Andrews and Hawkinson, even with Q tags. They're viable, Ebron. The guy I want to talk about, though, I used him paired with Dalton last week and it worked out. I think Dalton Schultz makes a lot of sense, again, at 3,800. He's going to see five-plus targets, which he's done in three straight games. Uh, At this price point, it's just an easy, easy guy to just plug. I think pretty safe floor. I'm going to go to Dalton Schultz.
1: When I hand-built my lineup today, Sal, just, you know, to prepare for the show, Dalton Schultz was the tight end that I threw in there initially.
0: Yeah,
2: I think Dalton Schultz looks good. He's getting targets from everybody now, and Andy Dalton you feel a little bit more consistent with. Found the end zone last week. Yeah, all these tight ends, including the Houston guys, like putting these Houston guys in as punts, they split the snaps pretty down the middle. They see like a red zone target each a game, maybe three or four targets total. So I think those guys are even in play on a lower end just to try and get unique and pay up at all your wide receiver spots. I think that my favorite play right now is probably going to be Eric Ebron, who currently right now is tied for sixth with routes running the NFL amongst tight ends, very quietly just being one of the most consistent tight ends in the league. Six plus targets and three straight, five plus targets right now and five straight. He is top five in red zone targets as well, seeing air yards downfield. So Ebron's probably going to be my favorite play at the tight end position.
1: What about someone like TJ Hawkinson Hawkinson or Mark Andrews, Ben? I I know that these two um, have had pretty spotty seasons unspectacular as a whole but mark andrews does have that ceiling he had that long 30 plus yard uh touchdown last week and the one thing about him last season that i really liked was no one was targeted more times 20 plus yards downfield at the tight end position than mark andrews which made up for him being on the field less than 50 percent of the time but he's he's erratic he's volatile right now and 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 quite frankly so is tj hoggison because he essentially relies on touchdowns to get you even close to where you need to go. I kind of always feel like Hawkinson's a bit overpriced relative to the rest of the tight end position, but it might not matter on this three game slate that has a dearth of options at tight end.
0: Yeah. You're going to have the money to pay up. Um, And and listen, Boyle goes down for the Ravens. Andrew, we've (laughs) now summed up sadly nicely about Hollywood Brown, like Mark Andrews has to perform if Lamar it's going to get there outside of him just really dominating right. on the ground. So he's the natural pairing there. If you have the money in on a slate like this, it's not uh, apprehensive to pay up. I have no problem with it. I do think, you know, point per dollar, Ebron and Schultz are probably ahead of these guys because I have them pretty close. But I wouldn't fault anyone for going to Andrews. He's obviously the best tight end we have.
1: All right, fellas, it's time to have some fun. I can't say our favorite defense under $2,800 because there's two of them. But at defense this week, Sal, who do we go with? I'm going to go with the Texans right now, assuming we don't get any news uh, or any good news on Matthew Stafford. I'll go with the Texans at $2,700. Allows me to pretty much do anything.
2: How about you? Yeah, I think that's a good call. Texans defense has really come on the last month, mainly because JJ Watt's actually playing well now. Um, That was going to be my pick. I'll go with to just try and save money. Uh, I'll go with the Dallas Cowboys here against Alex Smith. Uh, their defense is also coming on. Their secondary is, is still porous because of how bad they were the first like five, six weeks of the season, but they're rotating through the garbage players and they're finding a couple guys that are like a little bit below average and not terrible. So yeah, I think that'll go with them against Alex Smith, save some money at 2,800.
0: All right, Ben, close us out. I agree. You know, Cowboys for me is the logical pay down. Smith is not mobile. They've been better. And listen, when you have stability at quarterback, it helps your defense. Like they're not being put in these short fields, these brutal spots. I will say, though, uh, just to close out because we've talked about it, you got to do something different, I'm going to try builds building with Lamar and the Steelers' defense and really hope that we see a repeat where maybe he turns the ball over and that just forces him to have to run more and more and more. These other defenses are not good, so I do think there's a lot of scenarios where the Steelers' defense is still the highest-scoring defense, but Lamar still is a good play, and nobody's going to do that. That's one way to leverage and be unique.
1: It's a very interesting take, and uh, he has not been – averse to turning the ball over this season it hasn't been insane it's not like carson wentz type numbers but what didn't you say four turnovers
0: in that first meeting with pittsburgh it was yeah two two picks and two fumbles and listen in a game like that i would actually if i rostered lamar and he you know say i didn't even use the steelers defense if he fumbled on the first drive and the steelers punched it in i certainly wouldn't be saying oh man like i would say okay this is setting up where lamar is really gonna have to to get it going um so if, if you think that can happen It's worth a shot. You got to do something. Again, don't be afraid to play your defense. Not, I'm not saying stack against them, but you're going to have some players against your own defense this week. It's totally fine.
1: Is Minka Fitzpatrick the best ball hawk defensive ball hawk in the league right now?
0: Yes. The safety position.
2: Yes. Yeah. The safety position. Yes. And I mean, I guess you could arguably say, I mean, the safety position is going to have an advantage there, but middle of the field. Yeah. I would say Minka Fitzpatrick last year. I would have probably said Jamal Adams too, but no, right now it's Fitzpatrick.
1: He's been spectacular, man. Two interceptions last He's week great. against uh, Jacksonville. He just continues to put up the takeaways. And uh, I think, to, to your point, Ben, and that's why I asked, that makes things pretty interesting uh, if Lamar Jackson finds himself in some hot water throwing the ball downfield. That'll do it for us, guys. Follow Sal at SalvetryDFS on the Twitters and at SalvetryDFS on YouTube. Uh, Ben Rasa at JazzRazDFS, myself, Lafay underscore D, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D, and Osmo at Osmo underscore com. Remember, hit that sub. Help get us to 50K. If we don't see you guys again, have a great Thanksgiving, but I anticipate that we will tomorrow. Another breakdown leading into Thanksgiving, it'll be Matt Kajeski, Kyle Dvorak, and myself. And then, of course, Thursday, we've got multiple hours of content, Millie Makers, tons of big contests, We're going to get you ready for all of them. Ben, anything else
0: going on today? No, just stay tuned again. uh, We'll have videos. Me and Josh Engelman filmed a betting video contenders talking about our favorite props for Thanksgiving. Keep an eye out on that. And we'll see you guys Thursday morning for more Thanksgiving football.
1: Talk to you guys soon. Thanks for watching the awesome.com NFL strategy show.